Hey everyone, welcome to Probably Science. I'm Matt Kirshen. I'm Andy Wood. Hey Andy. Hey Matt. We got a returning guest. There's a guest we've wanted. I've wanted him back for a while because he's a great comic and writer and general creator. One half of Jordan Jesse Go. So like he's the Jordan part. Oh, that's the. <laughs> As opposed to the Jesse Go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and also now the creator, EP, head writer of podcast sitcom Bubble. That's true. I'm all those things. Which I, I'm very much enjoying. Say my name. It's oh, <laughs> Did I not? I, that's right. I only I, said I, the Jordan really bit. Say like, it. It sounds like you don't know his name. The, yeah. t- the time you've Jordan Martin. It's Jordan Martin. Thank okay. you. Thank you. Yeah. Also, it sounds like um, uh, Matt and I now have some sort of BDSM relationship. <laughs> <laughs> Say my name. Say my name. Say it. <laughs> <laughs> Ask permission before you introduce me. Big well, Daddy Jordan Daddy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No say. You don't say my name until you're ready. Right. Exactly. Until I say you're ready. <laughs> I should mention Matt is wearing a bridle right now. Right, I yeah, just yeah. Don't know. It's not a bridle, it's and a man harness. Jordan has a uh, riding crop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And it's not a riding crop, it's a walking crop when he <laughs> takes me on my walks. <laughs> right. Oh, by the way, uh, not to derail this, but I just found out that someone in our Burning Man camp is a furry. And what? I don't want to judge, but oh, sure. he just posted pictures of himself as a fox. I, like, have, oh, that's, I, I have some questions. I don't know. I think a while back in the early days... In the, in the early days of primary science, if you go way, way back, I said some negative things about furries, and I, I, I say, I, Listen, fuck you, I'm, earlier, Matt. I'm not, yeah, I'm not I, I take back my beautiful community. You do you. Guys. Yeah. Although I will I'm, say that that is a big commitment to being in the dusty desert. That yeah, is a lot I have of, just comfort considerations. Uh, Although I guess if you're a furry, you've committed yourself to being, you know, maybe not... Let's Not do- physically comfortable, so you can be mentally and emotionally comfortable in your true fur skin. Yeah. So maybe you, you know, you 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 powder everything appropriately, and you prepare for you hydrate. If you've lived this way for a while, you know how to do the uh, the maintenance, the, the hygiene part. And there, right. are, de- yeah. there are desert foxes. That's Probably. true. There are foxes that know. survive in very harsh and hot, dry climates. I'm guessing that's true. And yeah. I guess there's probably levels of 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 furry dress. There's probably, you know, the full costume yeah, maybe he that go- you see at Comic-Con. But maybe for Burning Man, you know, just ears and a tail. And then he fully suits up for the evening. Yeah, right, well, exactly. You dress it up, you dress it down. Yeah, it looks like it's, there's, it's, a, there's a version of it that's sort of like almost the cheaper, you know, those like bargain basement Halloween masks that are just one layer of hard plastic? Yeah. One of his versions that I saw on Facebook looks like it's that, but with some tufts of hair around the edges. I don't right. know if that's better or worse for breathability, but... Um, a fur, a fur want, suit for every occasion. Yeah. I'd want mesh, maybe. Um, but I, I, the point of this wasn't to judge him. No. It was more just like... Oh, it's interesting. Oh, I have it's to make myself... I have to, I have to work hard not to judge this. Right. Sounds like you're judging. Sounds very judgy right now. I'm just telling you I had an emotional reaction that was like, oh, Let's try to remain open-minded about this. And it is, thing. and it is interesting that he is—he um, is a a lone furry in a camp that is not furry themed. That's true. He's just letting us know this is what he's going to be living as for that week. Okay. Like, great. Great. Mm-hmm. You do you, uh, John. Let, yes. Let's talk. We've we've already gone through your background in science. If you want to listen to that, go back to whenever it was that you were on the show. What. 
it way back. That's when. true. It was in a back. It was in a backyard. Uh, a different setting. Twenty fourteen. We also talked about Burning Man. It was right after we came back. I oh think, yeah, right? I think it so. Or yeah, either we had we were preparing to go, or had yeah. just been. Yeah, maybe just been. So yeah, I think that was 2014, 2015. Listeners can Google this, or yeah. we can link to it in this episode. So I want to talk briefly about Bubble, please, please. Yes, because you created it, but also it features cast members and co-writers who are friends of the show. Right. Um, yeah. Well, I'll 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 mention. Well, maybe you could mention some because I don't. Well, I know Eliza. Eliza's one of the main cast members. Yes, Eliza Skinner, uh, Larry's comic. Is she? Sarah uh, Morgan wrote one of the episodes. Sarah Morgan, uh, our, arguably our most popular episode, written by Sarah Morgan. Nice. That was set around a trivia night. Yes. Uh, yeah. That is a. Uh, so yeah, the the show is kind of a. Um, you know, it's kind of a sci-fi. You know, moderner version of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer meets Portlandia. One might say. Uh-huh. Right. Uh, if one wanted to pitch it to television people, it sets. Well, it's clearly set in a world that is at least parallel to ours because there's plenty of references to companies yes. and the gig economy famous people. It's an that... alternate present. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, so, yeah. But there are monsters. That's basically... There are monsters. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of like it's, uh, it's, a, it's a bunch of kind of aimless, lightly employed young people who live in this kind of domed city. On the outside of the domed city, there's all manner of, uh, you know psychic bloodthirsty horrors and yeah so it's you know it's a little bit of you know just kind of aimless young people finding themselves and a little bit of monster battling and some uh yeah and some just kind of sci-fi bric-a-brac and yeah it's a it's a soup we enjoy it uh yeah and uh yes sarah's episode sarah uh, a british person like yourself she is uh did an episode about a kind of trivia night gone wrong uh, but and this is this was absolutely this was entirely her pitch was to have it set in a a like LA's version of British pubs, which uh, I I'm told British people find hilarious are it like was, British themed pubs. I, well, the host of the trivia night was played by uh, uh, Rob Corddry. It was Rob Corddry. That's right. Yeah. I knew it was one of the famous Robs uh-huh. who does a very good version of the just wrong enough British accent. <laughs> right, yes. Yeah, the idea like, is that he is a he is an American quiz host who has been putting on this accent for this fake pub. He does an English accent that is wrong, but wrong in exactly the right way. Oh, good. Yeah, what are the nuances? How, how do you do the perfect bad British accent? Well, there's various types of wrong British accent that Americans do, but the main one that they do... And Rob didn't do this as much. He sort of went for the Ren Fair style slightly yeah it is yieldy. a little yeah there is a yeah there are some uh, implied ease on the end of words but the uh, <laughs> that don't normally have them the main one that Americans do when they do British accents when they do an English accent that they get wrong is they they go for sort of London but they do this weird hybrid of upper and working class yeah so I, they they do posh vowel sounds with working class consonants so they'll they'll drop t's they'll do sort of glottal stops in place of t's but they'll do the elongated vowels that posher accents have so okay like if, if, if someone was doing use... some word like if it was an american like if it was the other way around it was like doing some words like you're from maine and some like you're from kentucky which which by the way is exactly what brits do when they do an american accent they get it wrong they, they'll do some and a hybrid of somewhere between New York 
and Dallas. Yeah, I mean, it's the, right, Benedict Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange, <laughs> right. everything it, it, Liam Neeson does. I know he's Irish, but... It's um, sort of a bit, yeah, it ends up being a bit Mississippi and a bit... Connecticut, right? But you're right. The New York thing, I think, is a trope that Brits like to fall into because it's fun to do that character. Yeah, yeah. but then yeah, also, right. but then also, so is the real Southern kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Redneck. Like so it sort last... of goes half redneck and half. And, and I Brooklyn. think that yeah, it's like a lot of this happens when they are playing a a tough guy. Mm-hmm. I think that's the in then yeah, and it seems like there's a couple of different tough guys they have in mind and. You know, one's from the Bronx and one's from the Deep South, and yeah, and it just kind of ends up sounding like this. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's so just perfect. Uh, Liam yeah, Neeson this is Liam Neeson, and I all move. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Uh huh. There's also like a super. Uh, uh, the last episode of Black Mirror this last season. No, oh, Black Mirror House always of, has some good ones. That, yeah, like House of Horrors in the Desert, sort of. Right. Yeah, one. yeah. That guy, I was like, tell me this guy is an American because he's doing this thing. Yeah, I thought, like this. Uh, yeah. And I was like, he's also kind of doing Hans Gruber when he has to pretend to be American in Die Hard. Oh right! Oh, you've got me. Oh, please don't don't hurt me. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, just like scumbag, general scumbag. Um, uh, yes, yes. Uh, well, yes, we were talking about bubble, uh, and but yeah, but our episode. but our but our bad pubs. Like that's all also something that we get kind of wrong, right? That is, there's the only one that's really dead on is or nearly dead on. There's a pub. That's run by someone from Manchester, or is she from from Manchester or Liverpool? She's from somewhere in. Anyway, the the English pub that's in the valley, that's really near Ireland's where you play sometimes. Yeah, What's uh, the one Fox that's Fox and Hounds? No, 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 not Fox and Hounds. It's not. That's the one in Studio City. It's the one that's more in Sherman Oaks. That's right, like opposite islands. You know where? Oh, oh, okay, yeah. Um, I forgot what it's called. I can't remember what that's it's, called. It's but at Burbank and Woodman. If you want to go check. Yeah, it out. but that pub there in the valley, that one I walked in, and I was like, oh, this feels exactly like an English pub. Right down to the carpet, right down to the function room around the back, which is exactly like the kind of rooms that I did my first ever stand-up set. Oh, in. right, right, right. The only thing that's weird, the only thing that's off, is that instead of having a blackboard with the specials written on it, they have one of those neon back neon backlit whiteboards, right. yeah, or like yeah. perspex dry whiteboards, and that's an that's an American bar thing, and that kind of threw me. But every other bit of it was like, oh, this looks exactly like an English pub, this and that's because it's run by run by an English person. Robin Hood. British there we pub. go. It's the Robin Hood. So, is that also a British thing to have your bar be uh, overly lit? Because it's definitely not. It's a little bit too brightly lit. Nah, it depends on pub to pub. Okay. But uh, yeah, that one is like a sort of. I'll always, yeah, I will periodically, when I go to a new, you know, British, British-themed British restaurant or bar, I'll always text uh, Sarah the name, and she'll always go, yeah, that's wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's wrong. Uh, the Robin Hood is a bit on the nose, but sure. also... What could be wrong about it, though? But then also, if you go to Nottingham, every, far too many things in Nottingham are named after... Robin Hood and various Robin Hood related things. Makes sense. Which is yeah. like there's Maid Marian Way, Maid Marian Causeway, which is like it, you, your city is named sure. after a little mostly jo- fictional character. <laughs> little John's all male strip club. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> um, yeah, I well, so the last time I was in the UK, I we stayed in Sherlock Holmes's neighborhood, and there was so much Sherlock Holmes shit right, around, just around Baker Street. Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, that saxophone solo was playing everywhere we go. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if you know, but there's a whole part of London that was named after that song. Oh, that's crazy! Yeah. That's uh, <laughs> it is amazing how 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 familiar I am with. But when the rest of that song starts, I'm like, I've never heard this song yeah. before. But that bit, 
I don't know. I don't know if it just like became a little like meme thing for a while. I don't know. But it just seems like an instrumental song. You yeah. Just forget that most of it is a regular singing song. Uh huh. Yep. And it's the same guy from Steeler's Wheel, which is... Uh, yeah, Jerry Rafferty. Yeah, yeah. Was, who also, by the way, originally was in a folk band with Billy Connolly. No shit. I did not. That's a great piece of trivia. That is a good... Uh, speaking of pub quizzes, yeah. I also love in, your, in the quiz episode of Bubble, one of the characters' specialties is just knowing things that aren't true that everyone thinks are true. <laughs> right, yes. Uh, God, this is another great... This is another great, like... Sarah Morgan ism, uh, not ism, but like just an awesome thing that she put in the episode uh, um, without without any consultation with anyone. Just a fucking brilliant comedy idea is that like um, one of the characters doesn't know the answers, but he knows. <laughs> how to say it's not what people think it is so he's like who played Paul from the Wonder Years right he's like if someone asked who played Paul from the Wonder Years I would say it's not Marilyn Manson (laughs) (laughs) but he also doesn't know who played it like yeah if you asked did did Charles Manson audition for the monkeys I would say no he didn't Yeah, just uh, useful for. But then at the end of the show, I was like, "Wait, is this a true thing about Doctor Who?" Because I'd never watched an episode of it. Oh yeah, yeah. That that's that's a uh, yeah. That is a um, uh, yeah. That is a hill she is prepared to die on. So oh, okay. The from what I understand, and I'm not a I'm not a Whovian. Yeah. But here's the argument through her is that something people like to um actually about. Oh, totally. Is that the character in Doctor Who is not. Doctor Who, it's the Doctor, mm-hmm. and Doctor Who is just the name of the show. But I think, uh, and you know, and that is, this, and, you know, that is Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Sure. Yes, um, it's Frankenstein's monster. Like <laughs> yeah, that is yeah. the British, that is the British nerds or the Anglophile nerds. Well, also he doesn't introduce himself as I am Doctor Who at any point. Sure, so I am the Doctor. Yeah, but I guess, but I guess there are multiple instances of the character being called Doctor Who, and the you know showrunners and the Doctors themselves saying that the character is called Doctor Who. Okay. So uh, I think the argument there is that it is canonical. It's just not something that happens a lot, and uh, people have kind of taken this as as fact in a way to like shit on people. But yeah, it's, a way to show anyway. your exclusive. You know, you're an insider to this thing, and everyone else is right. Yes, exactly. I love it. That's a, the first double. I'm um, actually. I think I've experienced. It's like the reverse. I'm um, actually. The, yeah, um, actually, yeah. I'm um, actually, actually. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, um, actually. I mean, you just have to drag it out instead yeah. of. Um, actually, it's. Uh, um, well, 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 actually, well, actually. Well, actually. Hmm. Um, or. Uh, don't who's or, me. Gotta say. <laughs> gotta say. Gotta say. Your, um, actually, yeah. Doctor Who is fine. But anyway, B- Bubble, great episode. Yes. Uh, great podcast, brother. Thank Download you. Thank it. you. Yeah, yeah. If, 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 uh, if, if Download, you're up for something uh, that's a little more plot and a little less chat, um, give it a shot. It's at yeah. MaximumFun.org, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, yeah, if you like it, uh, if you like it, tell a friend. And it's rocketing up the charts. I saw you were in the top five on the comedy charts. Oh, iTunes. nice. That's yeah, yeah. Amazing. We definitely, we it, it, it uh, yeah, it had a nice little run for sure. That's and awesome. uh, And people like it and I hope they continue to like it. I hope we get more uh, seasons in whatever format it ends up being. Awesome. Yeah. 
Uh, it's going to be flip books, actually. The next season oh, is going to be a yeah. series of flip books some, that you send away for. Some uh, sci-fi Zoe tropes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. They're going to be Magic Lantern shows. <laughs> and it's going to come with a piece of sheet music. And then someone <laughs> on a harpsichord will have to play that piece of sheet music. Uh, it'll be very complicated, but fucking hipsters will love it. It's uh, so anachronistic. Not to the story? Really? No, it's yeah. Just, it's just, uh, you know, classic storytelling yeah. that you I'm know, into. Uh, um, actually, Star Wars took place mm, in the past, not mm-hmm, the future. Mm, yeah. Yeah, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know know what's not in a galaxy that far, far away? What is that? Early galaxies, some of the earliest galaxies to form the universe, are sitting on our cosmic doorstep, according to a study. These faint objects close to the Milky Way could be more than 13 billion years old, researchers from the universities of Durham and Harvard explain. They formed upwards of 100 million years after the Big Bang, just pretty young in universe terms, mm-hmm. and contains some of the first lo- stars to light up the cosmos. Our own galaxy, the Milky Way, is one of billions out there in the universe. These sprawling cosmic neighborhoods filled with stars and planets form where many smaller building blocks such as these galaxies collided and merged. The discovery opens a window into what the universe was like more than 13 billion years ago. Professor Carlos Frank from Durham said... Finding some of the very first galaxies that formed in our universe orbiting in the Milky Way's own backyard is the astro- astronomical equivalent of finding the remains of the first humans that inhabited the Earth. It's hugely exciting. Uh, uh, lead order, author, Dr. Saunak Bose. That's a great name. Good yeah. name. From Harvard Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics said, For some of these tiny satellites, maybe 50% or even 90% of their mass was assembled at a time when the universe was less than 1 billion years old. The astronomers looked at something called the luminosity function of small satellite galaxies that orbit the Milky Way and its neighboring neighbor Andromeda. I didn't know that was our... Is that our closest neighbor? I didn't know. I think it's one of them. I don't know whether it is the closest, but maybe. Uh, if you happen to know either way, uh, astronomically inclined listeners, uh, write in. Write in to probablyscience.gmail.com and mark your envelopes. Andromeda. Neighbor? Question mark? <laughs> Luminosity describes the total amount of energy radiated each second by an astronomical source. The function gives an abundance, the abundance of galaxies for a given luminosity. When the luminosity functions were plotted on a graph, the galaxies separated into two distinct populations. Professors Frank, Doc, Professor Frank, Dr. Bose, and co-author Alice Deason from Durham found the existing model of galaxy formation explained the data perfectly, allowing them to infer the formation times of the satellite galaxies. The first population of galaxies appeared to have been formed during the Cosmic Dark Ages, which is a period of cooling which began some 380,000 years after the Big Bang and lasted for 100 million years. The second population, consisting of slightly brighter galaxies, seemed to have formed hundreds of millions of years after the first. And the onset of the Cosmic Dark Ages is tied to the formation of the very first atoms in the universe. They were hydrogen atoms, the simplest er element in the periodic table. You know, they're simple, but yeah. yeah. But they're kindly. It's uh, yeah. It is interesting to hear that there are. I guess I, you know, as as uh, as only a casual science man who is very bad at science in school. I guess I maybe my misunderstanding was that like all the shit, all the all the chemicals and the elements needed to create life happened in the Big Bang. But it's interesting to know that like new 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 of that stuff is happening all the time. Well, the Big Bang 
did no, the Big Bang didn't give off anything except high, mostly hydrogen and some helium. Mm-hmm. I think was there even helium? I think there was a little bit of helium. I assume everything was hydrogen first, just but, a single proton, and I don't know. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because it wouldn't. It would even be when it first gave off. It would even. It would just be subatomic particles. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then you get hydrogen, then helium, uh, and then that starts to form. That starts to cluster. The hydrogen and uh, starts to cluster until enough. If enough of it clusters in one position then it starts to collapse under its own density and then it forms a star and that star will start to have nuclear fusion which will produce that's nuclear fusion goes from what hydrogen to helium yeah although wait i thought also helium could fuse to yeah. uh god this is bad <laughs> we memory know but this. hey uh, but then every, you know so well, one thing i do know is for sure galaxies turn 18 every day right fellas <laughs> right fellas there's new gap new hot galaxies out there yeah they get older but i stay the same age <laughs> um but every heavier element that we see on earth or that we see anywhere else in the galaxy comes from supernovae a, su- a supernova is what makes like everything. Is that the plural of supernova? Supernovae. I, mm-hmm. I love it. So yeah, anything that is anything that is heavier than helium has come from a supernova. Okay. I do also love any time I see a, an article or something that that mentions the existence of dark matter, just because it, it does seem like just such a made up sci fi thing. Right. Right. And we've talked a lot about that in the podcast, and I think even the big the most experty experts on that would admit that it's a little like this is the question mark that we have to assume exists to explain the fact that we detect gravity where we don't see mass. Right. So it's something that's exerting gravity but is not interacting with us electromagnetically. So So here we go. This article actually goes on to talk about that. So yeah, it would be as the hydrogen gathered into clouds, it began to cool. The hydrogen clouds then settled within small clumps of the enigmatic stuff known as dark matter, which emerged in the Big Bang. As the name suggests, dark matter neither reflects nor emits visible light, yet it makes up 85% of all matter in the universe. The reason the two populations of galaxies are so distinct is that the first galaxies emitted intense ultraviolet radiation while the universe was still locked in the Dark Ages. This destroyed any the remaining hydrogen atoms by ionizing them, knocking out their electrons, making it difficult for the gas to cool and form new stars. Consequently, the process of galaxy formation ground to a halt, and no new galaxies were able to form for the next billion years or so. This next cosmological phase goes by the name reionization. The hiatus came to an end when the clumps of dark matter into which the gas has settled became so massive that even the ionized gas was able to cool down. This allowed galaxy formation to resume, leading to spectacular bright galaxies, one of which is our Milky Way. Milky Way. Milky Way. Milky Way. Give us an M. Uh, the galaxy evolution model favored by the astronomers predicts that there should be a kink in the transition between the fainter galaxies and the brighter galaxies as determined by the luminosity functions. This is when the galaxies became furries. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> well, furries is not necessarily a kink. It's more of a life. Okay. It's, a life. Sure. So yeah, it's not necessarily sexual, no, I'm just, Andy. I'm starting to think that I'm just that reading, might be a furry. Yeah. I'm just reading from this article. Okay. <laughs> That's just what the article says. <laughs> yeah, it's an unrelated paragraph about <laughs> furries. It's okay. This is a safe space, man. We're our friend. And, you know, yeah, I mean, we're happy for you if you have found a lifestyle that you feel is the true you, like, just do it, dude. It just seems like too much hassle. I don't think I could, I don't think I could make it work. Can you be a furry of a hairless breed of something? Oh, like those Egyptian cats? Yeah, can I be yeah, a, a I guess just a smooth... Or like a mole? Yeah, a furry naked mole rat. <laughs> 
snake. Oh, someone definitely lives as a snake. Someone definitely has like a latex suit that locks their arms down. At right, the side. and they just like they just lay on a hot rock all day. <laughs> well, that's a different. Yeah, and well, there's also people no sweat who who consider themselves mermaids, and I don't know how that fits into the whole spectrum yeah. of yeah. Actually, somebody died recently. I forgot if it was. I think it was in the L.A. area. Some like professor. Uh, in this sex dungeon because he was wrapped in cellophane and he suffocated like it oh boy constricted his chest uh, he was was he mermaiding I don't know if it was an animal sp- I think it was more just like a bondage kink thing but gotcha. like I think he was wrapped in like that packing cellophane in like a mummy pose and uh yeah not to bring it down no hey it's everybody it's a, a good lesson for listeners hey out there you do you but, play but safe. be safe, safe but be safe. safe just safe. make sure that when safe. you're doing you you don't kill yourself safe words or safe winks I guess if you're wrapped to the point you can't admit <laughs> yeah. oh sounds. right yeah I guess what good is the safe word when you're suffocating well, sure maybe a safe, safe directions yeah, yeah. The, so this maybe you can like tap out a help me message in braille with your erection okay <laughs> what works for only men I yeah. guess so Morse. yeah there I you go in any of these braille I said braille I meant morse code yeah I mean, that's a mistake that could kill someone. Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. I think if your penis reads as Braille, then you got bigger issues to deal with. <laughs> Go check, t- get that checked out. I do. Uh, a- I could do ASL with my penis. <laughs> I have a very, uh, um, a very, uh, yeah. Well, you know, well ASL I think is penis. easier because I than BSL because BSL is more of a two-handed language. Okay. Mm, sure, sure, For sure. a second, I thought you were talking about age, sex, location. I'm like, well, I could do one of those three with my penis. <laughs> I mean, not to say that genitals... Okay. No. Oh, I thought you just meant location. Yeah. <laughs> or age. Yeah. Um, galaxies. Yeah. Look, my location is this is a, close to listen, my penis. We apologize. This has been a very phallocentric it's bit. Really it has been only to do with penises. So We're sorry. Penis. We'll try and do more vagina humor later mm, in the show. Vulva humor. Vulva, excuse me. And clitoris. Sure, the whole thing. The whole thing. The, whole the clitoral that's hood. Isn't that included in vulva? Yeah. I think vulva is everything external, isn't oh, it? Oh, boy. I think. Yeah. I think. Because I've been watching Naked Attraction, and they kind of, <laughs> they in, in, incorrectly say vagina a lot on that show. Right, when, when they mean vulva. Judging vaginas. Sure. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, oh, you... actually, ladies. Uh, man, <laughs> Let me explain your genitals yeah. to uh, you. I don't see a speculum anywhere on this set, <laughs> yeah. so you are clearly not judging. Right. Um, it's actually Frankenstein's vulva. <laughs> Oh boy! <laughs> How many listeners are we losing? Or gain? I think it's a net. Uh, it's a net zero. Yeah, you'll gain a few. You'll get, you'll get the Jordan bump. And you'll get the, uh, <laughs> the, the vulva splaining drip. Drop, sure, not drip, but uh, yeah, yeah. So this kink should correspond to the billion-year okay. stoppage in galaxy formation <laughs> what are we caused talking by about? the ionization of gas towards the end of the dark ages. That is exactly what the researchers saw in their data. Further study should flesh out their understanding. If you go out and examine these primitive galaxies, said Frank. You should find bizarre things about them. Being the first ones, they should have properties that are unique to them. Uh, his colleagues expl- added, one could think that maybe some of these pre-reionization galaxies are more compact than their counterparts that formed afterwards. They were formed at a time when the universe was much denser because the universe was smaller. While hydrogen and helium were made in the Big Bang, there we go. Okay. The other, the heavier chemical elements we met were made... Um, uh, oh. oh, that's a oh, weird that typo. We, that, no, that we are made of were produced in oh. some stars. Who, you could put a word that in there that would clarify. Yeah, why would why is the BBC article including w- we're well, rather than making it about us? We are. That's bad. Mm-hmm. That's not in their style guide. The so yeah, everything else we're made of uh, were produced inside stars. When stars go supernovae, they oh, when they go supernova, they pollute the gal- galactic environment with their chemical constituents. Fucking supernovae. Yeah. 
However, the abundance of different elements in the universe has changed with time, so it's possible the way they're distributed in the early galaxies is different to how they're dispersed in the ones that formed after our reionization. Although these ancient galaxies are found on our cosmic doorstep, that's because being relatively close made these faint objects easier to find. Uh, but they are—they should be found throughout the universe and may in fact outnumber the bright galaxies like the Milky Way. Mm. There we go. Little galactic knowledge. Little galactic knowledge. Well, I, we, we, I, I'm kind of embarrassed at how quickly I forget all the things from a book like Astrophysics for People in a Hurry. You know, that was only a year ago. And we learned all these things that I already forgot about what happened in the first few moments. That was Neil deGrasse Tyson's book, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, that's why I try not to read that's you know, fact, factual books, <laughs> so uh, I don't feel bad when I forget them. I was, I was actually thinking about that today. I was getting philosophical about reading in general, because I'm like, think of all the books you've read in your life, and like maybe... You can pull like two facts per book from right. something you read ten years ago. Yeah, yeah. And if eventually that goes to zero, was there? Did you ever even read it? Was sure. there even a point to it? Or are we all supposed to read books twice in our lives? Or you know, like, something what? that I heard, well, I guess this doesn't apply to you know things that are supposed to be kind of educational. But something I liked that I heard about reading, uh, I think this was Dana Stevens on the Slate Culture Gap Fest mm-hmm. podcast, uh, who you know is a is a very intellectual person. She's like, I don't remember. Uh, I don't necessarily remember what happened in books, but I remember how they made me feel. Okay. I thought that was a good, but Reason I guess if you are, for literature, yeah, yeah, I guess if you are reading for facts and stuff, that isn't a good yeah. litmus I, I, test. You can't like, to... in, a, in a bar trivia night, you can't just write content. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Warm and safe. Yeah. Small. It made me feel small. This book about <laughs> astrophysics. Good plot resolution. Mm-hmm. I was going to jump from a story about the earlier days of the universe to a story about the earlier days of humans. Specifically, what's what's your favorite part of the bottom half of your body? Oof. Mm. Don't make what, me choose. What's the youngest part of the bottom uh, half my, of your body? My vestigial tail. <laughs> uh, how low does that hang? Depends on the weather. Uh, scientists, however... <laughs> There's have... a storm coming. <laughs> My vestigial tail's popped out. Okay, <laughs> so... Uh, yeah. Andy has the weirdest barometer. Yeah, right, yeah. It, it don't mess with the results, man. It mm-hmm. fucking works. Sure. It's accurate. Yeah. I, did, I, did I say it wasn't accurate? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Get in the storm cellar. Storm. Andy's vestigial <laughs> tail is wagging. <laughs> He just had to loosen that his belt means, one notch. Means he's happy. I want to make a remake of Twister based around that now. Right, yeah. He's twitching. They laughed at me, but I who's, saved the town the with my early warning system. Anyway. <laughs> Helen is, is, my... is Jason Alexander and Shallow Hal the most famous vestigial tale That's in the history of one movies? One of the only ones I can think of. Yeah. <laughs> what a strange plot point that was, yeah. I guess just to show that he was super, he was really superficial. I was going to say he was super superficial. I don't remember much about that movie other than it is probably wildly problematic, judged by 2018 standards. Well, oh, and actually, Jason Alexander's vestigial tale. I don't remember a whole lot else. I think what the point was is that, you know, judging appearance is bad sure. is the main point of mm-hmm. it. So that's not problematic, right? Right. Like, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I remember um, t- uh, Anthony. Uh, Robbins being Tony Robbins. Tony Ro- oh yeah, Tony Robbins is like got, uh, the uh, yeah. Uh, what's the word for it? Hypnotized sort of into yeah. seeing fat people as skinny or something. Yeah. Anyway, scientists have found that our big toe, our big toe, big toe was one of the last parts of the foot to evolve. Mm. A study suggests as our early ancestors began to walk on two two legs, they would have also hung about in trees using their feet to grasp bar- branches. They walked differently on the ground, but were still able to move around quite efficiently. 
The rigid big toe that eventually evolves gives efficient push-off power during walking and running. Uh, the findings have been published in the journal Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. In this new study, scientists made 3D scans of the toe bone joints from living and fossil human relatives, including primates such as apes and monkeys, and then compared them to modern-day humans. They overlaid this information onto an evolutionary tree, revealing the timing and sequence of events that produced the human forefoot. The main finding is that the current shape of the bones in the big toe, or hallux in anatomical language... That's good pub quiz info. That's a good little bit of info, absolutely. There's a little factoid for you. Hallux, H-A-L-L-U-X. Sounds like a 90s uh, X-Men character. <laughs> yeah, or a... Uh... Or it could be a sort of Scandinavian death metal band. Yeah, that too. Sure, yeah. Written in a font that you can't read. <laughs> yeah, look, sort of gothic slash Nazi-ish font. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, is always, that is always tough with, with like bands like that. It's like, oh, I, I hope this isn't a white supremacy thing. <laughs> I was seeing a band. Uh, this was like an opening band. And, you know, they were guys playing kind of screamy punk music. And they all were wearing like camo shorts and were like had shaved bald heads. And I'm just like, I just need to hear one thing that lets me know. That just <laughs> just say Black Lives Matter real quick. Yeah. Just say it real quick. Fuck or, racists. And I think, yes, exactly. Play not- Nazi punks. Fuck off. You can just cover it. It's 40 seconds. You can just play it <laughs> and we'll all know. Uh, yeah. Eventually, uh, he did come out and say... Um, you know, we're all brothers regardless of skin color. But that's like fucking two songs from the end. And I had to be stressed <laughs> out for 45 minutes while these guys Going screamed. Like, am I enjoying a Nazi right now? Am I? Yes. What am I? Help. Because <laughs> if, if they have that appearance, that normally means they're either Nazis or really against Nazis. Right. Yes. Uh, they, they never sort of... I mean, I blame, I blame England for that with your multiple skinheads, your multiple different yeah, skinheads. And then London's Gay Pride Parade was the one that had the ISIS flag where the letters were made out of dildos. And then all the news <laughs> was reporting that the ISIS flags were at the Gay Pride Rally. It's like, no, they're mocking ISIS by right. making these all Yeah, they're dildos. clearly reclaiming. They're not like, yeah. oh, we are proud gay people who also identify <laughs> with the ethos and aims of the ISIS movement. Uh, so, so we were talking about the Halix. Yes. The Halix. That Halix must have evolved quite late in comparison with the rest of the bones they investigated. Why does it matter? Well, author of the, lead, the lead author of the study, Dr. Peter Fernandez, from Marquette University, Milwaukee, says, Our ability to efficiently walk and run on two feet, or be bipedal, is a crucial feature that enabled humans to become what they are today. For everything to work together, the foot bones had to first evolve to accommodate the unique biomechanical demands of bipedalism. He said, the big toe is mechanically very important for walking. I didn't know it was that important. In our study, we showed it did not reach its modern form until considerably later than the other toes. When asked whether the rigid big toe evolved last because it's most or least important, Dr. Fernandez said, it might have been last because it was the hardest to change. We also think there was a compromise. The big toe could still be useful for grasping, as our ancestors spent a fair amount of time in the trees before becoming fully committed to walking on the ground. Modern humans have increased the stability of the joint to put the toe in an orientation that is useful for walking, but the foot is no longer dexterous like an ape. Yeah, I hadn't realized it's... But I guess it is. That is what you sort of push off when you're running. Yes, but I also remember seeing the first... um, I don't know if it was the first time it had been done. The first time I was aware of someone getting... Excuse me. Someone who lost some fingers or thumbs 
having transplants where they took their toes and made them into fingers or thumbs. Right. Oh, wow, I didn't and know that. They were like, we don't know what's going to happen. Is it going to be hard for this person to walk? And in this one story I saw on TV, this is like 20 years ago. Um, they were like, no, I can walk pretty fine. And like a big toe passes pretty well as a thumb hmm. and it functions. And I, just I, I guess also you can sort time. of, we have shoes now as well. That also make, must make a difference. We can, a, a shoe sort of is one rigid, semi-rigid right. surface, flexible, but it's interesting. So I would, I would think that, that the big toe would probably help you know, apes and monkeys have prehensile feet, which maybe keeps an organism farther away from being a human if they can hang around in trees and yeah. Stu- so I guess, I guess this sort feet. of slowly straightened out and became more rigid as okay. we move from the trees to being exclusively bipedal. Do you guys have pretty dexterous toes though? If you have to pick stuff up and you're oh hell yeah yeah I can get a pencil yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. yes I think I could probably off. I could probably get a get some handcuffs off if <laughs> yeah. the key was dropped and for some reason I couldn't bend over and pick it up. I could pick up the keys, but I couldn't. Insert get it to the, the key into the lock. I'd have to get it to my hand. But you I don't think. know. I mean, like if you lost your arms, like everybody who had lost their arms, they all end up driving cars with their feet. Like it must be a thing that everyone can do eventually, right? Or is that not true? Are we only seeing the success stories on TV because it's so remarkable what they can do with their feet? Sure. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, maybe, maybe a lot you of don't... just end up like I can't do shit. Sure. Like, well, no. I think you do. You learn to accommodate, and I'm sure you do increase your dexterity over time. Yeah. And. Yeah, improve your key, yeah. T- key turning abilities. And yeah, I'm sure steering. you learn to between your your mouth and your feet to do many of the things. Yeah. Is everyone else wiggling like wiggling their toes right now to see? Oh yeah, I'm yeah. kind of like yeah, I'm kind of gripping the I end of my flip flop. Um, yeah, I would like to think I have I have dexterous toes, but. I don't know. I've never had to, had to test it that much. Fast forward to Jordan's eulogy. He was a man of many, <laughs> many t- skills. Dexterous toes. toes. Pretty clean apartment. <laughs> uh, that's it. Not as dexterous as he thought, though, which brings us to today. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Turns out that... The, the hubris he, of a man with almost dexterous toes. Right. Yes. His handcuff stunt went awry. <laughs> he he houdinied himself in a tank of water. It's, it, Insisted yeah. he could get out with his toes. Like, Did not work. Jordan Morris, it just says, like, comedian, writer, podcaster, and then illusionist crossed out. <laughs> <laughs> Let's focus on the podcasting. <laughs> that He was really good at that. He had that down. Yeah, he sure did. The illusions, well, you know. Uh, was, sometimes, sometimes we overreach. <laughs> like uh, Icarus, I flew too close <laughs> to the sun. To the escape artistry sun. Uh, why did humans walk? The reason that our ancestors stood upright and then walked on two feet is still a mystery, but there are plenty of ideas. Scientists think that walking may have evolved either because it freed our hands to carry tools or because climate change led to a loss of forests or that overhead arms could be used to support walking on two legs along thin branches. Studies like this show that the early human ancestors must have been able uh, to walk upright for millions of years since our four and a half million year old fossil uh, Arpitheticus ramidus uh, uh, sorry, since then. But they did not fully transition to a modern walk until much later, perhaps in closer relatives within our own group, Homo. This new study, alongside other work, now confirms that early walking humans, or hominins, still use their feet to grasp objects. Uh, this shows that the feet had a mixed and versatile set of functions. Becoming human was not a giant step, but a series of gradual changes, with some of the last and arguably most important changes being made to big toes. 
Peter Fernandez said they would like to conduct similar analyses on the remaining bones of the forefoot in order to fully characterize the changes involved in the evolution of bipedal walking. Um, there's a, the next section of this uh, article is is uh, titled "What has been the reaction?" It would be great if the, the next one was outrage. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fuck you. Sure, <laughs> I mean, I'd look, like to look see more outside your window to see the reaction. <laughs> yeah, the, right. The Burning. Flames. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'd like to see more photos. Says filmmaker Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot he's a foot <laughs> I like that that's just a thing you can make uh, jokes about. But I, I mean, think people how know. Not, huh? how, could not, how could he not be? Hard, I don't know. Yeah. I also li- I like I like that as a joke you could make. And I also like uh, St- Sting does tantric sex. Like, yeah. I don't know where that's that started. Decades. But you. I think, I think he, that started think when he said, gave an interview where he said, we do tantric yeah. sex. Yeah. yeah. Quentin Tarantino is a foot fetishist, and the guy from the police takes a long time to come. They're <laughs> just jokes that you could make. But Quentin never, I'm sure, inter- gave an interview. I think it's just that Kill Bill has like 35 minutes. Yeah, of there's a lot of Thurman's feet. Sure. What's the uh, what's the uh, what's the one about the uh, that Kurt Russell is the stunt driver? Oh, his half of uh, Grindhouse. Grindhouse. Yeah, death, sure. Death proof. Death proof. There's some. There's some. Some. Feet, feet in that, that Kurt Russell's feet oh, yeah a lot of Kurt Russell's nasty little tootsies <laughs> well you know he set out and gone like what would I like to see in a movie right make the, they always make, say make the art that you would like to you see you want to see be yeah. the change you want to see in the mm-hmm. world yeah film the nasty little feet you want stopping on your balls the, well, the actual reaction from people who weren't involved in the study such as Dr. William Harcourt Smith from City University in New York said they are suggesting that one of the earliest hominins are Ardipithecus were already adapting in a direction away from the predicted morphology of the common ancestor of chimps and modern humans, but not towards modern humans. To me, this implies there were several lineages within hominins that were likely experimenting with bipedalism in different ways to each other. And Dr. uh, Professor Fred Spohr, who's at the Natural History Museum in London, said it was a bit of a shock when the hominins were found that have a grasping or opposable big toe, as this was thought to be incompatible with effective bipedalism. This work shows that different parts of the foot can have different functions. When a big toe is opposable, you can still function properly as a biped. So that was your answer. Best of both worlds, if you could have that. Yeah, I want my opposable toe back. That'd be nice. That'd be nice. I would give up half my vestigial tail for an opposable (laughs) toe. A good bargain. And I just looked up, uh, because I was curious about how common these toe-to-finger... transplants are uh and they even have a name for these thumb toes they call it a thoe t-h-o-e oh, makes nice. sense uh the first of its kind was done in 1897 in austria the first toe to thumb transplant um they didn't have let's say they weren't they were left without major nerves but the doctor showed it could be done and then uh, according to this atlantic article there's a doctor who's performed uh two dozen toe to thumb transfers since 1983 and one of the patients uh was quoted saying uh, the worst part was taking the toe off eight months after procedure. He said, I lose my balance easier. The foot is still healing. It's still sore, whereas my hand isn't. So I guess there is balance stuff you lose. But, uh, you know, if I lost my thumb or important fingers, I would yeah. give up a big toe or guess two. Guess it stops your tightrope walking career. But Yeah, yeah. Worth it. And uh, then uh, if you look up pictures of the transplants, surprisingly, sometimes these big toes do... Pe- they don't look that much different from thumbs. Like, if you want to Google image search that, they're a little like, you know, like like Hulk has 
has come halfway back. Like parts of his body are right. Still yes, on the, the transition Hulk. between <laughs> Bruce Banner and Hulk. Yeah. Hey, Andy, do you have any spaghetti in the house? You know what? I forgot to buy spaghetti. Ah. I, really, I was talking to Jordan about that before the before the recording. Uh, well, so we're gonna have to done. push that back another week. There's been some hot spaghetti news. Yeah. I mean, did, we didn't actually reveal what the trick is yet, right? Nope. I'm hoping people aren't googling it. Okay. No spoilers. I still. I'm guessing that the thing you have to do is something we can't do with just our hands, but we'll see if we can. Is there a tortellini or a ravioli test we can do? The article actually talks about why why those don't apply. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, it's the a tease. A tease for next of week. Spaghetti, yeah. but uh, when you have the more flat noodles, it's a different. Right. It's a different beast. Uh, turns out maybe don't Google image search uh, big toe finger transplant because the first picture is like, oh, that's fine, and then you go down a couple rows and it's like, oh, nightmare, nightmare, nightmare. Um, so I'm going to save you the trouble of that. I bet a lot of this show is, hey, maybe don't Google don't this. Google this, yeah. I like, I'm going to jump to this story because I like the fact that we're starting way in the early days of the galaxy and we're slowly working our way forward to the present day. Hmm. Okay. Examination of a mummy has revealed... Your last the- story will just be something about Chipotle, like <laughs> yeah. something ultra modern. We've discovered the special sauce recipe. Oh, yeah. Finally. Uh, we know... We know what all this blend of herbs it's, and spices is. Ketchup and mayonnaise. <laughs> it yeah, really is. is. Really Every restaurant sauce? special sauce is just, just thousand, get, yeah, some version of Thousand Island. Yeah, exactly. There's some probably some garlic powder or something in there, but yeah, ketchup and mayonnaise. Examination of a mummy has revealed the original ancient Egyptian embalming recipe first used to preserve bodies. A battery of forensic chemical tests carried out on a mummy that dated from 3,700 to 3,500 B.C., revealed the recipe and confirmed that it was developed far earlier and used far more widely than previously thought. The, it's the, the mummy now lives at the Egyptian Museum in Turin, Italy. Dr. Stephen Buckley, an archaeologist in the University of York, told BBC News that this mummy literally embodies the embalming that was at the heart of Egyptian mummification for 4,000 years. I didn't realize they were going for that long. Yeah, sure. I didn't realize the Egyptian civilization even existed for 4,000. Think about how long our, what would you That's even call good... our modern civilization? I don't know. Uh, well, well Roman it's changing Empire too quickly like now. 800 years though, right? Yeah, 4,000 years to have mummification going. That's a... It's a good long run. Think it's about long run. what was 4,000 years ago. I like how to different... remember. Yeah. Was, yeah. Old Testament. Was not little, even. Little it was tight. even predates Old Testament, doesn't it? When was Old? When was Wait, how old is the planet? The planet's six thousand years. Actually, old, no, it right? would be so Old Testament. There's some, yeah, two thousand years that, after the formation of Earth. Mm-hmm. This is we're talking about. Because I'm rats. just thinking yeah. that <laughs> that'd be great if you guys were like doing this podcast. And it's new just coming Earth. out now that you're new Earthers. <laughs> <laughs> we're young Earth. It's a young Earth science it's podcast. I mean, it all, you, there are ways to make it make sense. It does make sense. I'll show you my charts. Yeah, sure. No, I listen. There were dinosaurs on Noah's Ark. We all know course, this. Yeah, course. when we say the, the early days of the galaxy, we mean within. It, it's a distance thing. It's right. A, yeah. Sure. God put it there, mm-hmm. so it looks like that. Yep. Mm-hmm. I know this. So yes, we're talking talking mummy recipe. Yeah, four thousand years. I get, I'm trying to think now. The new te- the Old Testament with well, the Jewish calendar. We're now is in the is in the five thousands. Mm-hmm. The Jewish the Jewish year. Right. So I'm guessing if the Old Testament was slightly predating 4,000 years, depending on how well they've done the calculations. But uh, the, Dr. Stephen Buckley and his colleagues worked out the chemical fingerprint of every ingredient, although every, each element could have come from a number of sources. So the recipe... So how are we supposed to make our own mummies? Yeah. Exactly. Uh, the motherfuckers. Basic, the basic recipe, though. It's like, I guess it's like how you can look at the back of a Heinz ketchup bottle and you can read the ingredients list, but you right. can't use that to exactly make Heinz ketchup. Make yeah, sure. 
And, you know, I mean, like any good chef, I'm sure Mummy Makers improvised a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, and also, just kind of feel it out. And they don't know how, where each of these elements came from, but they can pro. So the basic recipe, if you do want, in fact, you want to, you're not looking at the article. Do you want to guess at the kind of things that might have oh, gone yeah, into sure. a mummy yeah, recipe? My little laptop died. Oh, we ran out oh, of battery. We should have charged it. Don't laptop. Okay. Um, yeah, let's see. Uh, I'm gonna guess that in a mummy, one of the ingredients is what would they have had? What would they have had access to? Just um, think about like the consistency of whatever you're going to be. Like if you wanted to mummy, if you wanted to mummify someone or maybe a beloved first pet. Step. Yeah, sure, exactly. Um, is uh, is it? Uh, oh, can salt. Get, how big is how, how big is? There is no salt that's mentioned in this. Can, huh. I, can I give you a hint? For, uh, think about liquids that aren't water. Okay. Like think about the the kind of consistency of the thing you might want to uh, inject them with. Oh, let's see. I don't know. Urine? Uh, nope. No. So I, I'll tell you. There, there is a Please. plant oil in there okay. that may that might be sesame oil. So this is what they mean by they can't tell right. what source sure. it, it is from. It's an oil they just so They can tell it's a plant be, oil that may yeah. have come from sesame oil. A, a balsam-type plant or root extract that may have come from bulrushes. A plant-based gum, which is a natural sugar that may have been extracted from acacia. And... Crucially, very crucial. The most important mm. ingredient. Remember this if you're mummifying at home. I, I'm mm. sure our listeners are. You do the science <laughs> along with us. Yeah, right? you're home mummifiers. I mean, there's you know, there's home brewers. There's people who do their own canning. Yeah, I'm sure. Exactly. I'm sure everyone. Our listeners all get together. You look in the show notes before we start and get together the ingredients list. So you can play along with us. <laughs> right. Sure. <laughs> and yeah, if you've lost a pet recently, when, uh, you're, when you're probably sciencing at home and right. you're, I just want to like Shirley Jackson lottery somebody up just to right. Have a, <laughs> sure. Yeah, you want to what now? Shirley Jackson, the lo- isn't that the author of the lottery? Right. Yes, the, you're right. Oh, about, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Uh, lottery That's a very American thing, I think. I had only heard of it when I came over here. Everyone had to read it in like tenth grade. Yes. Yeah, and it like blows your mind because you're like, whoa, oh fucking God, conformity is what? dangerous. <laughs> the crucible. What? Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna put it in the show notes for the non-American okay. listeners who might not know about it's probably it. Probably a quick read. I think it's a it's short a, story. It is. Yeah, it's it a, is a short story. You can read within a class period. I think. Yeah, yeah. I think you you know divide it up amongst the class. Everybody reads a paragraph. I definitely. Lottery in June. Corn be heavy soon. <laughs> it made me feel mixed. Mmm. Mm. The lottery. Here we go. And I'll put a link to that. So ancient Egyptian mummification. The most crucial ingredient is a conifer tree resin, probably pine resin. Okay. When mixed into the oil, that resin would have given it antibacterial properties, protecting the body from decay. Until now, he said the professor, we've not had a prehistoric mummy that has actually demonstrated so perfectly through the chemistry the origins of what would become the iconic mummification that we all know about. How did scientists find the recipe, you might ask? Well, I will tell you. Dr. Buckley began searching for the recipe several years ago when he and his team extracted and analyzed the chemicals from Egyptian textiles that had been used to wrap mummies. They are part of an Egyptian collection at Bolton Museum in the north of England. Dating to around 4000 BC, these particular fabrics were much older than the point at which it was believed that embalming and mummification originated. Mummification in general supposedly started around 2600 BC, which is when the Great Pyramid was being built. But we observed that there was evidence that the preservation of the body started earlier than this. This discovery led the team to the prehistoric mummy in the Turin Museum collection. It had never undergone any conservation treatments, so it provided a unique opportunity to study unpolluted ancient Egyptian chemistry. 
Dr. Jana Jones, Egyptologist and expert on Egyptian burial practices from Macquarie University in Sydney, said the examination of the Turin body makes a momentous contribution to our limited knowledge of the prehistoric period and the expansion of early mummification practices as well as providing vital new information on this particular mummy. By combining chemical analysis with visual examination of the body, genetic investigations, radiocarbon dating, and microscopic analysis of the linen wrappings, we confirm that this ritual mummification process took place around 3600 BC on a male aged between 20 and 30 years when he died. The fact that the same recipe was almost used was used almost 2,000 years later to embalm the pharaohs, says Dr. Buckley, means we have a sort of pan-Egyptian identity well before the formation of the world's first nation state in 3100 BC. Mm. Its origins are much earlier than we thought. Um, I, it actually just occurred to me as you were reading that, uh, that I am maybe surprised to learn, I had not thought about, that like you would, you would mummify a non-pharaoh, like that just a guy would get mummified. Yeah, I guess so. Um, interesting. It, it I also, guess you, uh, yeah, I wonder how well, much also, it has to do with class or with... Yeah, I you don't know. know. I, you'd think it might be something that would be a higher class thing, but who knows? Sure. Very trendy to be mummified. Oh, everyone's doing it now. Yeah. It also reveals an insight into how and when the ancient Egyptians perfected an antibacterial embalming recipe that protected and preserved their dead, leaving behind the iconic Egyptian mummies we're now so familiar with. Embalming was just one step in the careful process of preserving a body. The key steps were... In fact, do you want to take, take a guess at the steps? Okay, yes. And I know while I'm doing this, there are mummy experts just yelling at their iP- iPhones. Oh, this uh, one is the only one that I would have guessed because it's the gross one that everybody knows what about. The, yeah, I mean, I guess you have to the take out one. the take out the stuff through the nose, right? You have to pull out the brain through the nose. Is yeah. that real? Is that exact removal of the brain? A very possibly old using too. a whisking process to cause the brain to liquefy. Wow. Ew. <laughs> then That's removal great. of the internal organs. Right. Then you know what you are you you guessed putting the bullet body into a natural salt to dry it out. Okay, so you know, so you were right about salt that. Salt is involved. Then coating the body, or at least some kind of salt, if not sort of sodium chloride, some sort of natural salt, coating the body in the embalming recipe to kill bacteria and to seal it. And oh, then so there was never any injection of anything. I guess I should have assumed that would be too hard to pull off. For them. Mm-hmm. And then uh, it. Wrapping the body in linen was the final step. It was the drying and the embalming recipe that were the key to preservation, said Dr. Buckley. Egyptian mummification was at the heart of their culture. The afterlife was just a continuation of enjoying life, but they needed the body to be preserved in order for the spirit to have a place to reside. No, actually, I, as I mentioned earlier, my, my laptop uh, died, so I can't look at the article. Does it say how to create a wolfman? <laughs> one would maybe create, um, go, about, go about creating a wolfman? I'm just kind of curious. I think it involves spirit gum. I'm yeah, no, I think so. Usually, right, it's uh, a tree sap. Those are the, the proto furries, the wolfmen. Right, yeah, the original. <laughs> who was the original furry? furry. Yeah, Lon Chaney Jr., it the original actually, furry. You know what? It actually, it weirdly doesn't say it in this article. Hmm. Interesting. I wonder if I wonder if the science is still out on that. I think it probably yeah. There's still how you make some Draculas. argument. How do you make Draculas? <laughs> you, yeah. Again, yeah, how do you make a, creatures from the Black Lagoons. Uh, again, I know we we have plenty of scientists who listen to this show. So if you are involved in <laughs> wolfman creation, creating or studying the creation of a, a, a wolfman or a Dracula or, a Dracula Frankenstein. or yeah, Frankenstein, yeah, or a Frankenstein. Dracula well, actually, it's Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> Um, or a Phantom of the Opera, you know? Sure. Kind of a lesser... 
What are some other Universal like, monsters? Nosferatu uh, is still kind of a Dracula. Yeah, right? that's a Dracula. That's, uh, a Skellington. <laughs> a Jack sure. Skellington, sure. A uh, help, uh, not Helter Skelter. What's the the pedophile director? What's his movie? A Jeepers Creeper. <laughs> Wow, that was quite a run to get to Jeepers I Creepers. Remember Disney, Disney firing James Gunn, but having no problem with a convicted sure child making a bunch directed. of Jeepers Creepers and the movie Powder. Oh boy, yeah. Hang on, who directed that? Um, we're doing Powder and Phenomenon soon on Twinsies. So I was looking up uh, his last name is Silva, and he was arrested, and it's on it's public record. He was convicted of uh, child molestation, and Disney's like, yeah, let's make it. Let, let him make a couple more movies. <laughs> He made the Jeepers Creepers series. He made Powder. Um, it was a different time, the 90s. Sure. Yeah, uh, all those 15 to 20 years ago. Do you yeah. guys have opinions as science heads and movie fans about the movie The Core? Have you seen The Core? Is that one of the journeys to the center of the Earth movies? Yeah, it is a. It I is have a, not. It's kind of a reverse Armageddon. In that a, a plucky crew. I liked the core. I think. So Wait, here's, did I or did I not? Uh, here's the thing. I had to. <laughs> I had to. Up. I had to watch it in order to parody it in a cartoon. Okay. Uh, a, a, car, a boss of mine said he wanted to parody the core. I had not seen this movie. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would love to hear about the the seemingly preposterous science of the Earth's core stopping and reigniting it with. A nuclear bomb. Oh, that's right. Like, birds are flying out of the sky because the rotation of the yes. core stopped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's like, it is causing all these kind of bizarre weather things to happen. Anyway, the just the little thing I wanted to say about the core that I thought was kind of interesting was that the MacGuffin element that they've created in it that like, you know, helps them go to the center of the earth. Uh-huh. Unobtainium. Ah. Which James Cameron would later use in Avatar, anyway. Oh, which was already Ooh. an extant scientific term. For was it? Ju- for, like, thought experiments. Like, you put that as a placeholder for the thing you don't have. You call it unobtainium. Yeah. Oh, so interesting. It like so it wasn't this thing that was like, oh, what a dumb name to say you can't obtain it. It's like, well, it was used as a thought sure. experiment term in science. Yeah, as any kind of placeholder. Or like the Far Side cartoon. I think you need to be more explicit in step six here, where it says like, and then a miracle happens. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of. Oh, interesting. Okay. This uh, is good. This is the, exactly the intel I was looking for I on believe, that question. I mean, I could also just quickly go to Wikipedia for this, but I believe everyone's everyone's anger at unobtainium was a little. Uh, maybe you could have just spent half an hour more with <laughs> thinking of a name just, for yeah. Yeah, a, high, a highly desirable material that's hypothetical, scientifically impossible, extremely rare, costly, or fictional. Yeah. Uh, I kind of liked. It. I kind of like broad sci-fi gobbledygook. So I, had, I didn't have a problem with an obtainium yeah. at the and time. And the core also had some giant geodes within the Earth, right? Yes, the Earth had through. a crystal geode layer where they just kind of got out. There's a lot of points in in the core where they got out and just like looked around and went, "It's so beautiful." <laughs> Was Aaron Eckhart? Aaron Eckhart is the lead in that, uh, along with Hilary Swank. Oh, they had right. a little yeah. will they won't they? She was a hotshot pilot, and he is a science Mine? stud. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think uh, we might have to do that one as a pairing for Twinsies. I'm not sure if there was one the same year, but definitely a bunch of journeys to the center of the Earth right. movies. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, yeah, get the, was there a scene where they have to assemble the ragtag bunch like Armageddon or not really? No. People come out of retirement for Yeah, the- like the other members of the team. Should we be talking about this? Whatever. Anyway, save it for- the members of the team are um, Delroy Lindo, who's very I good in the Delroy movie. Lindo, He's yeah. the guy who's been like secretly building the drill out on the Alkali Flats. Okay. <laughs> and Stanley Tucci, who oh, is kind of a celebrity, kind of a proto Neil deGrasse Tyson celebrity turtleneck astrophysicist mm-hmm. uh, who was also very good in the movie. Anyway, very I bad CGI. I this movie now. Yeah, it kind of sucks. 
Okay, maybe don't. Maybe don't. Maybe just uh, read the read the book that we all. <laughs> yes, read yeah, the novel actually, of the core. Actually, yeah, actually, the book is better. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, the book of the core. Anyway, or uh, actually, uh, I call the book uh, the author's writing. Mm, sure, 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 sure. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Justin Broad descend in a story about. Well, we are talking about monsters. Uh, and a Wolfman. Wolfen, Good segue. Wolfman in. Uh, yeah, it's a very, very short jump from the Wolfman to the Wolpin, which you're not apparently allowed to call it, but a hybrid dolphin, a whale dolphin hybrid. Well, why wouldn't you call it a or wolfin? a hybrid it... of two dolphin species, maybe. Okay. In, in August last year, a group of marine biologists working off the island of Kauai, Hawaii, uh, went spotted something a little odd. We came across a mixed group of two species, rough-toothed dolphins and what appeared at first to be two melon-headed whales. These just sound like insults from Welcome Back, Connor. <laughs> you melon-headed whale. Get away, get out of here, you rough-toothed dolphins. <laughs> uh, melon-headed whales are generally found in very large groups of their own kind. Seeing just two individuals mixed in with rough-toothed dolphins was a bit surprising, he said. Then on closer observation, the field team noted that one of the melon-headed whales had a very unusual head. Melon-headed whales have a rounded head, <laughs> mm-hmm. and rough-toothed dolphins have a long... It does sound like sl- a weird slur from the 20s yeah. that, like, your grandpa says, and you're like, what is he talking about? I don't even is know... about Italians? <laughs> yeah. Which race is he insulting with this? <laughs> That's about the these, Dutch. <laughs> these hoople-headed... Uh, yeah. 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 These, these mopes. <laughs> yeah. These sawtoothed blowholes. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> what are you talking about, grandpa? Yeah. These cucumber gloves. What are you? <laughs> cucumber. What are you? Who do you hate? <laughs> Where is? <laughs> you could call them that back then. You could, it's fine. It was a different time. We all hated the Dutch. Yeah. Yeah. When you're like, no, I don't even. I'm not even offended. I just want to know what what it is. It. Yeah. Exactly. I have a lot of. Uh, I, listen, I could say that I have a lot of melon-headed <laughs> whale friends. I work with some down at the plant. They call themselves that all they the time. They do. We, oh, I can't say it. <laughs> so they can say that, but I can't say that. Uh, melon-headed whales have a rounded <laughs> head, and rough-toothed dolphins have a long, gently sloping rostrum or beak. But one of the two creatures had a head that was neither one nor t'other. It had, it had a gently sloping beak, but much shorter than a normal rough-toothed dolphin, explained Dr. Baird. The team thought it could be a hybrid between the two species. A skin sample was collected and DNA testing, as a new paper outlines, confirmed their suspicions. The genetic tests showed that the hybrid had the mitochondrial ha- haplotype of a melon-headed whale, which is actually a species of dolphin, despite the name. It's not the wolfin. Hmm. Which means the mother was a melon-headed whale and the father was a rough-toothed dolphin. So this was like a happier ending to a dolphin West Side Story. Yeah. Juliet, star-crossed lovers yep. from the two different... The, the, two the, pods, jets, the two pods came the together. Jets and the don't call them sharks. Yeah. yeah. I bet, I would guess, and maybe the, because the two of you guys have Google uh, capabilities. Sorry There's, for the battery dying. Uh, no, that's okay. That's fine. Um, uh, I, it just lets me pay attention a little closer to match reading. Um, I bet you there's an indie rock band named Wolfen out there, and there's totally a fucking banjo. Well, there, there was already even more hipster than that. There was a short-lived uh, DVD accompaniment to the McSweeney's Believer magazine uh-huh. called Wolfen. Wow, yeah, that works. The first episode of which I ripped uh, the video that was in the DVD credits. You uh-huh. know, DVDs would have just like right. you could put a video over the credits that would loop for a long time. Mm-hmm. If you just and I found this out accidentally, if you left the Wolfen DVD on didn't press any buttons after about 20 minutes because it's just a close-up of Pat Oswalt's face making okay. weird faces then after 20 minutes of its playing 
he walks into he leaves the room he's in walks down a bunch of hallways he's in a storage unit and eventually opens up a garage door to one of the storage units to see David Byrne of Talking Heads uh-huh. fame facing away from the door just playing this Lefty Frizzell song called There Stands the Glass on acoustic guitar and Patton watches it for like a minute then closes the door wow and weird I uploaded this video that's to a great, and it has like uh, a great Easter egg has like 100,000 views this that's video awesome. that I put up this is 12 years ago. Probably. Right. Because, yeah, that's probably a thing people didn't know about immediately. Yeah. So, hmm. Wolf and DVD, the first one has a great David Byrne you uh, Easter egg in it. Yeah. We'll put a link to that. Is that still on YouTube? Let me see. Um, While you look that up, I'll continue with this story because a number of species will hybridize in captivity where mating opportunities are limited. But these species are not usually held in captivity. Uh, it's a much more surprising occurrence in the, wor- in the wild. The term wolfin was first applied to the false killer whale and the. the what, what does this mean? The false killer whale and the bottlenose dolphin hybrid born in captivity in the 1980s. I don't know what... Why, why false? Or is yeah, it false killer know. whale? Is that a thing? <clears throat> the mammal named Keikemalo is still a major attraction at Hawaii's Sea Life Park. Dr. Baird said he thought using the term wolfin to describe the product of two dolphins just muddied the waters. It's a funny thing because back then when many of these species were given common names, things like killer whales, pilot whales, melon-headed whales were all called whales, he said. But as the knowledge of their relationship with other species became clear, they were all actually oceanic dolphins, and they are relatively closely related. So really, th- that there is hybridization between different species of dolphins. And gotcha. that in itself, he says, was just as unique and should be appreciated. Yeah, and it needs it's, another mashup name, though. Its rarity should be appreciated. Walton is, like, catchy, you know, just as far as branding yeah. oh, goes. Totally. I don't know if it's accurate, but as far as, like, good yeah. branding, it well, I works. Guess, I, I guess you either use, because it's too, you either use the first half of Dolphin and the second half of Dolphin, or <laughs> right. the first half of Dolphin and the second half of Dolphin. Right, so it's like, instead of a Dolphin, it's a Dolphin. Or a dolphin. Yes, yeah. Dolph, dolph, fin, fin. Yeah, I guess if you... It depends where you split the word, because you could sort of split it not quite in the middle. So it's either it's either a dolphin mm. or a dolphin. Sure. I dolphy like that. Dolphin. Dolphin. fin. Dolphy fin. Dolphy fin's a cute. Yeah. Yeah, like a dolphin fin or a dolphin. Depending on which way around you switch it. And here's David Byrne. Oh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. There we go. Yeah. Eighty nine thousand views. I exaggerated. Still, uh, still pretty good. Not bad. It's creeping up on. It's creeping up on six six figures for a thing that I don't have the rights to. Yes, and put up anyway. But I'm sure uh, they appreciate it that it's out much. there. Yeah. It's not. Is that what you just put in the show notes there? Yep. All right. I'm adding it to the right bit of it. Sweet. There oh, we yeah, go. We'll link to that in the show notes and on the probablyscience.com internet website yes. where you can also find the donation button. Thank you for your monthly donations. Thank you for the donations that are coming from Oren Harris, Oliver Force, Jonathan Waltz, John Clarici, and Mark Williams. Thank you all of you. If you want to donate, go to probablyscience.com, click that donation button. You help us out. You help us keep this thing running. We really appreciate that. You also help us by spreading the word and saying nice things about us on the internet and giving us ratings on iTunes and other similar platforms. Yeah. Uh, get us up there in, in, the, in that bubble territory on the charts. That'll, that'll happen soon, right? I, I get, <laughs> hey, I guess I guys. I think you guys can do bubble numbers. Okay. You guys can do bubble numbers. We got to get some of that uh, Allison Becker heat. Some of that. She, has she been on our show yet? I forgot. I don't believe so. Get Becker in here. Get that Bex. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I think I'm trying to think of the main. 
I think Eliza's the only main cast member who's been on the show, but there's some guest voices from time to time mm-hmm. who've also been on the show. And also just like people who are fans of county podcasts have heard a lot of these people on tons of other things. You guys got uh well Jonathan Colton did a couple yeah, songs. Yeah, Jonathan Colton so so yeah, kind of kind of something. So this it started out as a TV pilot that I wrote and you know, just in the world of TV pilots you can just add songs that you want to have in just sure. like and then this Rights song starts playing matter, exactly yeah. yeah and you assume that if HBO buys it they can buy uh, I think away. in this in this case it was come sail away so we had all these song references in the script so just kind of a fun way around that was we had Jonathan Colton uh, famous internet musician um, and also non-internet musician but just straight up musician sure uh, a software engineer turned there you uh, go yeah. Um, he uh, he just recorded legally dissimilar enough parody versions, so the so lyrics are changed just a little bit. That you very heavily lean into. Yes, yeah, it's a it's a it's a, it's a they're not meant to pass as the no, other version. No. They're uh, they're kind of a joke. Come and ride uh, a boat. Come yes, ride yeah, come right a boat. Come right a boat with me. Um, Oh, instead of, there's a uh, uh, and instead of a gathering of angels, it's a gathering of space guys. That's oh, nice. the beginning of that. And then uh, yeah. the, the the Fraser theme is that Jonathan too. That is John. Yeah, Jonathan Colton does a legally dissimilar version of the Fraser thing that I think is uh, that is uh, like fruit sa- fruit salads and vegan quiche. <laughs> and he like yeah does the does the bad white guy blues voice and uh, everything. It's really yeah, terrific. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a great show and uh, well worth your time. You can bang out, you can binge eight episodes in yeah. about four hours. So you, sh- you sure can. Yeah, if you got a, if you got a road trip, if you got a flight coming up, uh, hopefully Bubble will be perfect entertainment for that. Go check it out, please. Do, do we have time for any more stories? I bet we. I mean, do you? Got, I, I got nowhere. We to could go. do Paul Steinbeck's. All I have to do is turn on the AC at some point. That's all <laughs> that could do Paul Steinbeck's. Uh, Bermuda Triangle story. Let me give you a non-Danish um, version of that, unless you want to do the translation. One second. I just looked that up to find... Uh, oh, yeah. I, I didn't realize that's a Danish article. Here's one from... Is express.co.uk? Is that uh, is that one of the trashier say, British publications? Yeah, the Daily Express is like the lower rent version of the Daily Mail, which is already pretty low rent. Well, Are we going to see any photos of those uh, page six girls, though? Hubba, hubba, hubba. You know what? I'm going to do the Danish website as translated by Google, and we'll see how it pans (laughs) out. Do not change a word of it, though. Please, yes. Okay. Okay, I will do this exactly as it. This is great. This is a fun experiment. Violent storms that meet, according to a group of researchers, create giant (laughs) waves that can Mm -hmm. be over 30 meters high. Yep. Ships and planes that disappear in close fog, violent storms that come out of the blue, and compass pins that spin around in strange movements. <laughs> That's the end of the sentence. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. This is a possible solving of the Bermuda Triangle right. mystery. Mm-hmm. These are just some of the many stories that together for more than a century have helped build the myth of the Bermuda Triangle. That's a decent sentence. Yeah, yeah, it's a sort of curious word order, but it, it's grammatically correct. The Bermuda Triangle is a geographical area between Florida, Bermuda, and Puerto Rico. Perfect. There we go. For more than 100 years, this area has been known for tales of a high number of ships and planes that disappear without traces and without any immediate signs of weather conditions that may point to an explanation. That was a surprising Google is very good at this. More than 1,000 people have disappeared in the area. But now, according to several international media, a group of researchers believe they have solved the mystery. After studying the area for decades, they conclude in the documentary The Bermuda Triangle Enigma that it is a rare but natural weather phenomenon that is probably the basest 
the basis of the many <laughs> shipped wrecknesses. Ship, <laughs> oh, that's good. All one word: ship wreckednesses. <laughs> the many ship wreckednesses, which I, which I believe is a female shipwreck, right? Yeah, that has inherited a small amount of money. Mm-hmm. According to researchers. There are particularly violent waves that suddenly occur on the open sea. Now, I've, I've read stuff about these before, these monster waves that were thought to not exist until recently because they thought that the science only explained waves up to a certain height. And now, but they were, now there are sort of other scientists who have applied various quantum physics what? equations to the, to the wave equations that we thought previously governed and then went no, and saw like oh you can actually have these rogue waves that are walls of water that are 100 feet high and they've also now been seen by satellites they okay. like they have been detected because it was previously people would describe these things and then they'd come back and go and scientists would go no yeah this is the maximum possible height of a wave according to our calculations and they're like no we saw this wave of this wall of water that was a hundred feet high, just this wall coming towards you that the ship would just go straight over the top of. And this was also a problem because for a long time, these big waves would only reveal themselves to children. Then as soon as adults would be around, they would go away. And then right, decided, this right, is sure. Creating I had the same problem precedence. with this dead frog. Yeah. It would dance so, uh, only when I was around. So they thought this is going to encourage children to not report uh, molesters. So we should make oh. these waves visible to I thought everybody. we were going for an imaginary friend thing. I was thing. going Snuffleupagus, but... Uh, Oh, that, was that a thing? They stopped making Snuffleupagus visible only to kids because they realized they're encouraging kids to believe there are things that only oh, they see and adults wow. don't know about. I was wow, doing I Michigan, didn't know that. I was doing a Michigan J. Frog bit. Oh, shit. Okay. Sorry. I that is... Not everyone knew about this. I had of, no idea. Now everyone no. can see Snuffleupagus. Gotcha. That is be, really interesting. Of course that makes... When yeah. did that happen? What year did that happen? In the happen? last 15 years, he became huh. visible to everyone, I think. Interesting. Is it Snuffleupagus or Uffagus? Snuffleupagus? Is it? Okay. I'll start typing. Did they, did they have a plot reason for that happening? Did they like have him go so, through a vortex or something? As opposed to just like, break the fourth wall and be like, hey, kids, if someone's touching your swimsuit area, <laughs> <laughs> uh, stuff Snuffleupagus. Upagus. Upagus. Okay. The waves, which can rise above 30 meters, occur under special conditions when the wind comes from several directions at the same time. There are storms from south and north that meet, and if storms come from Florida, it can be a potentially potentially be a fatal formation of violent waves. We have measured waves that were over thirty meter high meters high, the, which is around a hundred feet. The bigger the boat is, the more damage is happening there, says Dr. Simon Boxall, who heads the group of British oceanographers from the University of Southampton, who now claims to have cracked the code behind the Bermuda mystery. Oceanographers have built indoor simulators that can recreate the conditions that violent waves cause. To see how the waves hit ships, the researchers built a miniature model of the ship USS Cyclops, which disappeared in the Bermuda Triangle in 1918, with 309 people abroad. aboard. Yeah. Uh, this, by the way, is a perfect translation. Really like, the only flaws so far have been my... The... Yeah, the only flaws apart from ship recognitions so far have been my bad reading rather than the words on the page. And in the experiment, it took only a short time before the miniature model was flooded by the waves. The giant waves were first observed with satellites in 1997 by the coast of South Africa. It is part of history that a number of researchers and authorities... (laughs) Yeah. It is part of history that a number of researchers and authorities (laughs) do not believe that more shipwreck and aircraft accidents occur in the Bermuda Triangle than in other areas where there was as much ship traffic. Let's try to parse this one. It is part of history that a number of... Just it is the case that basically some people... It is is a matter of record. There aren't even Hmm. that many more that happen in the Triangle than other areas. Yeah. 
the Coast Guard does not recognize the existence of the so-called Bermuda Triangle as an area that is especially dangerous for ships or aircraft, said the U.S. Coast Guard, according to Huffington Post. But because that also, this, what it's aircraft as well. That's the other thing. There's supposedly the vote. What's meant to happen in the Bermuda Triangle is there's a heavy fog and also your your instrument start to flail widely wildly mm-hmm. have they found the like wreckage of all this stuff or is the wreckage also I impossible to find i don't know i, I mean this that. is deep sea hmm. so wreckage is probably pretty tricky to track down yeah, anyway. yeah. i also didn't realize until i saw this picture how get james cameron in there the cameron is. can get his it's just submarine a, it's also just a huge area i didn't realize it's uh i mean each leg of this triangle i'm gonna guess is about 500 or like a thousand uh, does it have a measurement? It goes about the length of... Hold on a second. Oh, yeah, that's easily... That's that's well over a 1,000 miles on each side of this almost equilateral triangle. So that's a huge-ass area. Yeah, so again, the idea that some some of the many, many thousands of ships that have passed through there over the years have disappeared. Maybe it's less than 1,000. It looks like ballpark. It's longer. It looks like twice the length of Florida on each leg of that floor. Of yeah, that, that is interesting that like, yeah, you think of it as this like little haunted vortex you yeah, go into, no, but it's, it's like, like an ocean. The Atlantic. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, things crash in the Atlantic. What happens there? Well, it's a, it's a sea. It's an ocean. That it's cooler. Moves. The Bermuda yeah. Triangle. Uh, and also I was curious if I just made up, I didn't want to do the uh, actually Marilyn Manson thing on Snuffleupagus, so I looked it up and um, yeah, when Snuffy was finally introduced to the main human cast, it was mainly due to a string of high profile and sometimes graphic stories of pedophilia and sexual abuse of children that aired on 60 Minutes, and the writers felt that having the adults refuse to believe Big Bird, mm. they were scaring children into thinking their parents would not believe them if they had been abused. And on that note... Yes, great <laughs> way to... I really know how to end these things. Sure. Mm. Bring it home, Andy. Boom. Take it Take it safely into a nice, even, smooth landing. <laughs> Why didn't I talk about something that... Let's talk about Woody Allen's yeah. legacy. Some unproblematic Sesame Street characters like Elmo. Oh, uh, boy. Okay, and all right... <laughs> Uh, how do we land this one? How do we stick the landing on this? <laughs> much like the planes crashing at the yes, Bermuda Triangle. Uh, much like the 300 dead in a 1918 crash. I think I passed feeling sad about that. Yeah, it's, it's been, that's been long enough. 100 people dying, I think, takes like 10 years, 20 years before it's funny, you think? 300 people a century, sure. 9-11, there's going to be 9-11, like, rentable, inflatable slides in, uh, in like... Th- right, for, like, ironic for ironic house parties. Yeah, Eric yeah. Andre had a Titanic slide That's at one of true. his birthday yeah, parties, yeah. and no one's like, hey, people die. <laughs> yeah, many, many Wee! people die. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, that's... That's more well, based... I think the slide's based on the movie. Yeah. That we all love. Well, I mean, like, the 9-11 thing could be based on that one guy who survived by sliding down the rubble. Did you guys hear about that? They got the top of uh, World Trade Center. Oh, no. Well, he surfed That's the rubble thing? down and survived. Whoa. No, it was this urban legend. Ah. I, you don't remember that, that story? No, I've never heard of this. It was one of those things. It's it's kind of a common trope when there's tragedies like that. Someone tries to get this thing going that, like, gives you one glimmer of hope. Right. So, I, I don't know if they can trace it to a person. But, like, yeah, I, he- I heard from a lot of people, like, no, someone survived. They just, like, surfed the rubble. Hmm. I'm like, did you see that footage? What are you talking about? Yeah. Surf the rubble down. <laughs> well, even when you said it, I presumed it wasn't from the top of the building. Well, that like, was what was the story was. He was, like, on the top. And then as it, he just, like, got, he had really good balance. And he just kind of, right. like, when When Michael Bay directs the uh, 9-11 movie, there will be some rebel surfing. Poochie the dog will be. Sure, there. yes. <laughs> Surviving. I'm Poochie the Rockin' Dog. Poochie the Rockin' Dog. Is that a place we can wrap it up, you think? On that note. Everybody loves a Simpsons reference. 
Jordan. Yes. Where can our listeners find out about you? Yes. Uh, I'm on uh, Twitter at Jordan underscore Morris. Uh, I do a chat podcast called Jordan Jesse Go that you fellas have both been on. We have. Um, Jordan Jesse Go, if you like aimless chatting with zero science, (laughs) Um, Jordan Jesse Go. And uh, we mentioned Bubble. Uh, That is uh, wherever you get your podcasts. It's eight episodes. Uh, Check them out if you like it. Tell a friend. Yeah. Do that. Uh, we might. I think we might be off for a week after this, depending on yeah. because you're going to be in the we're desert. Not, we're not going to have an episode till after Labor Day, probably. So enjoy your time off. Enjoy the rest of the summer. Uh, get out and explore some new podcasts. And wh- Andy, where can they find if I, if we have listeners who are going to be at Burning Man? Where can they find you? Uh, yeah, come to nine o'clock in Esplanade. It should be very easy to find our camp crossroads. Look for the giant uh, raccoon. <laughs> That'll be fox. Andy. Oh yeah. I'm um, assuming you'll be integrated into the furry society by sure. this point. It's a one-man society now. It'll be two by the end. And um, you're going to be putting on a comedy show on Wednesday afternoon. That's true. Two o'clock on Wednesday. I'm a little worried about this one, but whatever. Uh, two o'clock on Wednesday at Crossroads. Again, nine o'clock on Esplanade. And then uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday nights, there's the live band playing these amazing like three-hour-long sets with uh, it's a 15-piece orchestra with, you know, Guitars, horn section, backup dancers. They're, they're amazing. I've, they're I remember musicians. seeing them, and I'm wondering, like, do you bring your shitty like extra saxophone? Away? Well, I was at, I was going to try to play guitar with them. Then I found out you have to bring your own guitar and your own amp, and I'd have to buy a bigger amp, and then also not care if those get a little... I mean, I guess you just break them out for the show, then instantly wrap them back up again and put them back in the cases. But even still, like, even you still, can't avoid ply dust getting inside so them. I'm not going to go buy an amp just for this. I'm not playing, but I will be there watching all the shows, and I uh, hope to see some of you there. Do that. Listen to Bubble. Listen to Jordan and Jesse Go have their chat. And I, I, I'm convinced that he's called Jesse Go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's his last Jordan. That's the app where Jesse you're supposed Go. to find Jesse. Uh, yeah, it's like an augmented reality thing. Right. It's a it's, yeah. It's a Pokemon Go type yeah. thing. It's one guy, but if you catch him, uh, you catch, can fight him against himself. Catch all the podcast network magnates with this. <laughs> I got a Scott Ackerman. <laughs> uh, I'm gigging around LA mostly. I'm. I'm. Oh, I'm going to be in New York as well. I'm going to be in New York in a couple of weeks' time. Nice. Just, I think it was going to be this week, but it, now it's been pushed back. I'm going to be doing a Star Talk recording. Oh, cool! On awesome. Wednesday, the Wednesday after Labor Day. So, if you're in New York, I'm going to be doing some shows in New York around that time too. Awesome. And I don't know what the deal is with getting tickets to see the taping of Star Talk, but I might be able to. If you're in New York, I might be able to hook it up. So, message me through the probably science email address and do they I might do be able that at up. the Hayden Planetarium or something? Or yes, what? they do. Okay. Which, by the way, probablyscience at gmail.com. That is the email address. And you can tweet us at probablyscience. You can tweet us individually at Andy T. Wood and at Matt Kirshen. Mm-hmm. And then at Jordan underscore Morris. Yes. Check us all out. See you around. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Jordan. Yeah. Bye. Thanks, Bye. folks.